try solving problems that, that exist right now. Because if, and always make sure that someone is going to pay you to solve that problem because then you don't have a business, right? Mm. So, so solving problems is, is what I do naturally, but I can only do that if, you know, if, if someone's going to pay me to do that because that's how I measure that I have a business idea that actually has legs or not. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's uh, grown several businesses to seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great guest on the episode, and I'm sure I'm going to slaughter her name. So, <laughs> Afifa, is that close? That's right, Devin, it's Afifa Siddiqui. All right. As good as I can get. So I'll, I'll take <laughs> that as a good compliment. So Afifa, and I still feel like I'm saying it wrong, but I'll, I'll try it. Um, but you've ran, uh, run three different companies, one of which you focus on is Canadian Payroll Services and kind of uh, also have some software companies that are in a similar industry. Um, prior to that, if I remember our conversation a bit before, um, you graduated from engineering school, wound up working um, for power and energy and electricity and all of those doing some engineering projects, and then switched over throughout your career um, through a few different ones, moved over to specializing in recruiting, and then uh, bringing up to today where you're doing now um, with more of the Canadian payroll services. So there's a very brief overview. I'm sure it doesn't do you justice. But with that, welcome to the podcast. All right. Thank you. And that was a great introduction. And you know what I say about my name? It's, it's like Bob. You could say it backwards. <laughs> with the danger of that is when I say it, people start calling me Bob. <laughs> well, I'll try not to at least call you Bob. I can't promise okay. I'll, I'll say your name right, but I will not, I will not call you Bob. So No problem. Okay, with that, I gave you a, sh- a brief introduction, but uh, give us a bit more about your background, a little bit more about your journey, and let's hear uh, what brought you to where you're at today. Well, you know, I'm, uh, uh, there's this question, are entrepreneurs born or made? And I think they're both, but I got to say, I, I feel myself like I am a born entrepreneur because I've always, always been doing something that, that is entrepreneurial on the side. You know, I was, I, I had a little side gig going before that was a thing to have. And, uh, uh, you know, my journey, my entrepreneur's journey is, you know, it's a lot like what you've described, but one thing kind of pivoted into the next. And I think that word pivot is, is, I mean, it's something we use now in the tech space an awful lot, but pivoting is what entrepreneurs do. You know, we, we pivot into solving a variety of problems. So that's kind of what I've done, Uh, you know, out of engineering school. I, I had a business even when I graduated that I, a lot of people don't know I, I was uh, uh, doing all kinds of things, but um, uh, it was based on the tech of the time, which was fax machines. <laughs> so how did so did you start the business while you're in school or did you have the idea and once you graduated, you started the business or starting at that part of your journey? How did you how did you get a business that you graduated? 
Well, so I was actually even had a little side thing going on, even in high school, I would sell things that, uh, again, got me in front of people in, in talking. So I'm kind of a, a native to trying things out and experimenting. And this is kind of key to me. And, and I'll only speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure a lot of entrepreneurs are like this, that, that uh, uh, we are always experimenting. I'm sure you have an element of this to your personality sure. that... Uh, uh, when I was in, in high school, I, I always kept uh, reading in, in, on top of what is the tech coming out and how you can do things differently to make them better. Uh, you know, things I would always look at is efficiencies and then how to make money and how to save money. Really, those are the three things that even today, you know, factor into all the experiments I, I do in looking at what's next on the horizon for, for my business. So coming out of university uh, in engineering school, I started what was then called a surplus brokerage. And, you know, back then we had fax machines and yes, I'm dating myself, but literally, you know, it would send out these, these I'll, blasts. I'll the, the side yeah. note, which is ironic. So, and I know it's a complete side note in interrupting your journey, but I, so I, I mentioned, I, I do Miller IP law where I focus on patents and trademarks. The only time, and, and so I, I do a lot of technologies. I've done everything from wearables, yeah. I've done medical devices, I've done software, I've done stuff for Intel and Amazon and list goes on, right? And you think that it, with patent or patent attorneys who work with a lot of technology, the USPTO or the Patent and Trademark Office would be up on technology. They'd have great systems. And a lot of, they are the only ones I ever have used a fax machine. So even till this day, every so often I'll get a examiner of the patent and trademark office that wants to use an old school fax machine. So it doesn't, oh, yeah. doesn't date you as much as you might think, especially if you talk with the people at the patent office. Well, you know, interestingly, people ask me, well, what are other opportunities out there? Sometimes it's not forward looking, it's, it's backwards looking. So I actually always keep one number in, in any of my business designated just for, purely for fax machines because there are so much there's opportunity, especially with governments like our, our uh, CRA, they stick with faxes and there's entire municipalities. And so if businesses actually keep some old tech, it becomes new again. It's just one thing that I've learned along the way, right? Yep. So, but, but, I, but, And I interrupted your journey. So you started out with selling stuff in high school. Then you got into fax machines as you were getting uh, graduating from, uh, from yeah. uh, school. Yeah, but it, 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 like for me, I, I look at it as as what problem am I solving? So with this this particular surplus brokerage, I called it. I literally just crafted a template. Uh, here's my offering. I will buy anything that you have that's sitting on the shelf that you don't know what to do with. Don't put it in landfill. I'll I'll pick it up. Even it was it was just a very basic. You know, I want to know what businesses are doing, and I give you an example. I I once picked up these little. Uh, pens, the HP plotter pens. They're they're, they're very. Uh, at the time, they were used in making blueprints, uh, you know, for architectural offices and and you know, basically little little pens. And I was at this uh, weird uh, uh, fair one day. Uh, they were um, where they they were mapping out using these specific plotters to do your your palm print, and it was like one of those uh, astrological. <laughs> palm readers and so I got talking to this guy and, re and he said to me oh god I wish I had these little pens and I'm like oh my god I, I saw this in a dumpster so literally I'm out of you know I'm just coming out of university I don't even have like my own uh, address I, I ran over there picked up all these pens they gave me 2,000 and he gave it to me I didn't have to buy them 
So this is, you know, it's an entrepreneurial uh, knack to look at here's a problem a company's having. They're going to throw away something. And another business here sitting there looking for that something. And so being in the right place, you know, I'm telling this story because this has happened to me over and over again, like being in the right place and being able to connect the dots. So, you know, that is that is uh, um, something that, that I think if you have uh, the if you're open to, to being in the right place, like these are like, I used to think that I'm very lucky and I am, I am very lucky that these opportunities come, but I think it's placing oneself in the path of luck or in the path of an opportunity. No, and I, I completely agree. And I'll give one more side. And I usually don't interject this much with Jordy, other than I think it's interesting. Um, so, so I went to, I did undergraduate BYU in Provo, Utah. And then when we, my graduated, I did, went out and did a law degree as well as an MBA degree out in Case Western um, and uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And one of the things just talking about almost getting things, you know, out of the garbage, you're finding things that people no longer use is during law school, I would, so they would have uh, what are called tree lawning, which basically is they, if you wanted, you'd have things that were picked up that you didn't no longer want, you could put them out for the garbage. And some of them were perfectly good things um, they just didn't want them anymore, so you just put them out on the street, and either people could come by, grab them, get them for themselves. If not, they would um, get, you know, put them in the garbage and, and pick them up. And I remember during law school, and I said nobody else. I don't share this very often, so you get the special story. You know, <laughs> I remember in law school, both me and my wife would find it fun on the tree lighting day when they put it all out. I'd go around and find the things that people didn't want that I still would have value. I'd put it up on Craigslist, and I would probably make a couple thousand dollars a month is taking things where people are getting rid of, putting it on Craigslist. And I got to the point, I wouldn't even, I didn't deliver. I would make them come to me. So it took yeah. me literally just walking around, finding things of value, yeah. posting it, and then making a, a supplemental income during law school for something that took me half an hour a week. Yeah. See, you and I have a lot in common. <laughs> and and I guess this is part of the whole entrepreneurial phenomenon, right? You you. You got. You actually had Craigslist. You know, when I started looking at this, again, none of this was around. There's no online. Internet was just starting. So, you know, at the time, there was fax machines. At the time, there were like you, want, you had a car, you got in, and you drove neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. But, again, that's a start. And, you know, right away, uh, I got a job. I got into my actual field. I was a, a protection and control engineer. And I did that for a decade, you know, in a variety of, of different roles uh, in my engineering career. And then, uh, uh, you know, just to get back on track to, to how I actually started, I started my first company where, you know, I, something that, that I built to uh, of quite, you know, it's an operational business. I ended up with at the high point 15 staff and I was quite proud of where we got to, but it was a very up and down journey and that was the recruiting company. And, you know, to, to actually go back, I didn't start it as a recruiting company. I actually started, it's called Kronos Consulting Group, and it was set up as an, an engineering consulting company because I was um, project managing uh, different projects. And here's, it, and this is not something I actually speak about a lot because uh, at that time, I was quite young. And of course, you could see I'm, I'm a, a brown person. So my, my gender, my ethnicity, and my age were all working against me as I had started launching this uh, company. 
And, you know, very quickly, it, it, I had to pivot, to use the term, and it turned into a staffing recruitment company because I still was building teams. I was pulling people together to get projects to work on, but I couldn't actually sign off or have the credibility to do those projects as a professional engineer. So, you know, again, I, I, I knew I was going to do something on my own in my own industry. I was in the electronics business at the time, had been sort of outsourced out. So I myself was looking for work. And I think I remember telling you in our, in our uh, pre-chat there that I was looking for work for, for myself uh, at the time. I would go to these interviews. In the interviews, I'd discover, you know, this is not really the, the role for me, but, you know, I can tell you who you should be talking to. And from that was where we, we kind of stepped into, like, I'm going to now do this for, for a business. Um, but again, well, I, I also... Because yeah. I think that's interesting. So... Walking through, you, you graduated, you did the fax machine for a period of time, you worked yeah. as an engineer and worked on various projects, and then you started Kronos Recruiting, but if, if I understand it, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you would, as you were going in and just working as an engineer, applying for different jobs, you would actually say, oh, I'm not right for the job, but I know who it is, and that happened enough times, you're saying yes. there may be an opportunity here that I yeah. can actually go into recruiting, help to matchmake or align those people with the the people, the employers are looking for people with the people yeah. that are needing a job. Is that Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of recruiting businesses out there and, you know, nobody graduates thinking I'm going to be a recruiter. I'm going to do this for a living. Everybody that I've spoken with falls into it. And mm -hmm. so that's, that is how I fell into it. And, you know, at that time I really had never been headhunted. Well, I had been called by recruiters, but, you know, I've only ever at that time been had one good experience that, that I would call that recruiter back. So I said, I wanted to be recruited the way that I would feel good. So at that time, and this was not a term then, the candidate experience mattered to me. Hmm. So I wanted to be, you know, uh, using my network and approaching people on a very professional level and talking to them about what was actually good for them as opposed to them fitting the jobs I had. Hmm. And, you know, it was different at that time. Sure. Remember, this is like 25 years ago. No, and I, and I agree. So one, and I'm, I have a follow-up question about one question. So how did you make, how did you go from, hey, I'm applying to jobs to, and you know, look, I'm not the right candidate. Oh, apply to another job. Look, but I know who is. How did you make that to, hey, I've got an opportunity here that I'm going to start a business and actually build something around it? You know, how was that just a, hey, it looks like, you know, after the third time you referred someone or was it over a period of time? Or did you it was actually after the fifth time that happened to me. So I'd be sitting in the interview, like I'd be across from you, you'd be speaking. And then, you know, I'd be telling, here's the things I would do. And they, they're asking all their questions. But, you know, whether I'm suited for the job or not, I often knew, hey, you know, I, in my own network, I have somebody who, who else you should, you should meet. Because this is a part of my nature. Like if I'm not right for something or if I don't want it, I'd rather provide it to someone else. And that's the networking effect. And I think that's why my network is so strong because, you know, people do out of the blue even call me for, for info because I'm not going to hold back because I actually believe there's lots of competition room, right? I can, I can even give leads to my, my fellow uh, recruiting competitors, which is actually how I met my partner and, and also my husband. 
you know, I didn't know much about recruiting. So I had a, a number of these jobs because I was doing these interviews. And then I, I said, okay, I should really figure out stru structurally what's the best way to do this. So, you know, I'd met a few people that said both of them gave me Dale's card. And Dale's, you know, who, who I approached and I asked him, uh, hey, why don't you help me with this? And then over the next year, I, I kind of lured him to come work with me. <laughs> and that's how Kronos Consulting Group launched. That hey, kudos both provided it was a, a connection for business and for love. So what more? That's could right. That's uh, right. Now you've been doing Chronos for twenty years, and if I remember right, it's still an active business. You still participate in and still do stuff with. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, now, one thing I do. Okay, so I have a personal belief that. I can choose to move into businesses and add on, add on, but the choice of dropping something is also a, a legitimate way to be an entrepreneur. So I have legacy business that's, that's continuing and that's particularly in the nuclear space. I have a number of contract workers that I, I payroll and manage through Kronos, but I'm not actively building and, and working in recruitment anymore. Hmm. And that business. So what, what happened is about uh, 10 years ago, you know, I've been watching this whole industry change, and, and it's so fast. Technology comes and, and, you know, pushes things. Technology drives you off. Markets drive you up and down. You know, every single market that I entered, I didn't know much about, except, you know, when I was in the power sector. We, we built it from scratch, our mining division. We built from scratch the renewable sector, getting into nuclear. But it was... Every time you have to learn a whole new business, a whole new, and this was happening over and over again, and it's not a bad thing at all, but, you know, it's tiring. So trying to come up with something, here's what I have. I have Kronos in my back office is an asset. My database is an asset. My people who work for us, they're assets. So what can I do? And that's where my experimentation started. So about a decade ago, I started uh, looking at other avenues to either to something else or to start other businesses and so current uh, uh, my current baby Canadian payroll services was that was started out of Chrome to delve more into the payroll end of it but we are even nichier than just payroll we, we are an employer of record service which is a very specialized thing to do in Canada you guys in the U.S. know a lot more about PEOs uh, professional employer organizations it's not a huge thing in in canada but um you know it, it, the niche is that we we service non-canadian clients who actually hire canadian workers so again i fell into it out of you know a, a need to or a desire to diversify and uh, literally launched a whole separate business which is actually our most successful business so far okay no i, I think that so that's business number two right so one is yeah still going right now yeah. a lot of time and effort certainly goes into Canadian payroll services and then I think you mentioned you have one other business which is um, so it's it's called career leaf and it is a, a white label job board software and that too was my need or my desire to experiment and so th there's an interesting thing with with Curleaf. I was actually the the lead investor so as I started experimenting I wanted to invest in technology I didn't know a heck of a lot about it I had built our own uh, software that powers Kronos. So, you know, this is also a huge asset. I built a, uh, an integrated applicant tracking system 
CRM, and digital marketing tool. And it's all wrapped into one. I call it Talnet, Talent Network. Mm. But this, again, was because at the time there were no big LinkedIn's. You know, th there was no Taleo, and, and this is pre all of that. So we, and we're still using this tool. And literally, you know, if I wanted to have something like this, I, I'd be out, you know, a quarter million, two million to, to integrate something to, to use. So I still rely on our, our old system. And uh, actually, surprisingly, people call and ask if, if they can, you know, take a look at that. It, it's really ugly, but it's super functional. Oh, my God. I have yet to find something yeah, as functional. Engineers, the office <laughs> make it really pretty, but it doesn't do much, which is the typical software. So engineers are saying, "Oh, I don't care what it looks like, but it has to do what I want it to do." So just uh, yeah, certainly yeah. the background. But but Careleaf is kind of interesting because you know I invested in it. I did see a lot in it, but you know it didn't. It wasn't able to generate revenue uh, after the the first few two years, three years. And then um, I was on the board of that company and, you know, the board then we decided that, you know, we need to change the model. So they actually brought me in to, to turn the pivot or make the pivot into a B2B instead of a B2C. And I actually went a little bit further. It's now a B2B2C. So it's actually a platform uh, service. Um, and literally it's sold across, across the world. Like it, they actually, um, it's at a point right now where I hired somebody who uh, runs it, manages it day to day. And he does a phenomenal job. He actually used to run, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Workopolis niche networks. He used to run the Workopolis niche networks in Canada. They're like monster. They're, they're like in, in Canada. Yeah. But, but it was like, it's, it's just like another uh, experiment that was quite successful no, outside I, of other experiments that weren't so successful. <laughs> it takes a lot of experimenting to find the right one. So, so now as we, you know, talk through all of your journey, you look for, you know, do things you like to experiment. You have three different businesses, you know, that you're at least involved with some of which, you know, more actively and others, other people run and then you help them to manage. But what do you look in looking out now for the next six months, six to 12 months, what do you see as the direction you're going or what's the next experiment you're headed towards? So right now, CPS is, is the focus. It's doing well, knock on wood. But the reason it is, is again, I, I think I was a little lucky here too, where remote work is now the, you know, COVID driven opportunities, right? Co remote work is what everybody's looking at. And, you know, frankly, CPS has been a remote first company for six years. So, you know, we, we've built this practice because all of our workers are all across Canada. Mm. You know, and I could say that uh, I used to think this was a negative that I had only ever met, you know, 10% of our, of our workforce because they're so geographically widespread. And, you know, at the time, I, I've only met 1% of our clients because they're, you know, either overseas or, you know, in the U.S. So these used to be, to my thinking, a negative thing. They're not anymore. This is actually us being ready for, you know, taking up advantage of the, the COVID pandemic. And I think that, so this is, this is a, a key learning. People are now trying to look around, how can I repurpose and pivot? And, and I think something that, that I, I do naturally, I, I'm always looking for what's the silver lining. Every problem has to be solved. And, and I think that's where entrepreneurs live. So 
the problems right now I'm looking at is how do you make remote working more efficient, more effective, because this is no longer a, an if. It, it will, it is here to sit, stay. And, you know, I know a lot of people don't agree with that. They think that once, you know, we have like a, a vaccine, things will go back to normal. I don't think so. I think both workers and clients now have a taste of how you can actually run businesses very effectively. And now I'm talking about, you know, professional services, you know, um, work that doesn't necessarily need to be face-to-face, right? Mm-hmm. And other bricks-and-mortar businesses like restaurants and the food industry, they have different kind of problems to solve. But even those problems, you know, I, um, I was very excited to hear. I'm sorry I go off on these tangents, but but it's relevant. There's a, a couple of uh, golf courses. My, my husband belongs to this golf course, and he was um, talking to their, their kitchen. Now, two years ago, their kitchen uh, had, you know, they'd made something like uh, uh, 30 40 grand of revenue in there by selling food this year. Now you'd think all restaurants are struggling, but that's not true. This restaurant at this golf course had tripled its revenues because people are not coming in to eat, but they're all ordering out as they pass through. They have their, their games. They all pick up not just one meal, but the the meal for the family, maybe for the week. So, there's opportunities for all kinds of businesses if they're ready to, to change and pivot and look for those silver linings. And I think it's very hard to do. I mean, I don't want to sound like it's easy. It's not. And I never want to sound to other businesses that, that hey, you know, you know I, I don't know better. I just have this own, my own experience. No, and I, I'm in agreement. I think that the, anytime there's a change in the marketplace, it introduces opportunity, meaning – when you have change in the marketplace, introduces chinks to or weak spots at other competitors or in your own business, and you can either try and just wait wait it out, or you can react to it, pivot, and use it as a, a place. Say, hey, if all everybody has this chink, how can I now adapt and be different than everybody else? Yeah, take advantage of it. So, well, there's a whole lot more things I'm sure would be fun to talk about. But as we as we start to wind up this po- or this episode, I always have the two questions I always ask at the end of the podcast. So maybe with excuse me, in that vein, we'll uh, we'll go we'll uh, do, jump to that uh, jump to that now. So the first question I always ask is, um, what was the worst business decision you ever made? Uh, well, I'll give you a bad decision. <laughs> maybe not the worst because right. you know I've made some very embarrassing. So I like being a, a, an early adapter. So when I was uh, running Kronos, the VoIP, uh, you know, the VoIP phone systems had just come on the market. And I decided in my glorious wisdom that we're going to be one of the first to use these VoIP phones. <laughs> I got that. The system had it implemented. And in my stupidity, I had my normal analog phones ripped out. And we installed them. They didn't work. Right. This is early on in the space. So I literally shut my company down without having backup for two whole weeks while we then had to get our old phone system back. Huh. <laughs> I know it's, it's like, it's, it's something I did. It's embarrassing, but you know, I learned a lot from that, that, that yes, you can, I can experiment. Um, and, and my CFO, my, my, at the time was telling me, don't do this. <laughs> it did it anyways. Hey, that's a great lesson to learn from and uh, a mistake to, or mistake to, that's interesting to make. So, awesome. So, the first thing, 
so that's the first question I always ask. Second question that we'll jump to is if now you're talking to someone that is just getting into startups, just getting into small businesses, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would say try solving problems that, that exist right now. Because if, and always make sure that someone is going to pay you to solve that problem because then you don't have a business, right? Mm. So, so solving problems is, is what I do naturally, but I can only do that if, you know, if, if someone's going to pay me to do that because that's how I measure that I have a business idea that actually has legs or not. No, and I agree. And I think that the, the trouble is not, not all good ideas are ones people are willing to pay for. I mean, you may have a great idea and it may yeah. be- the market or people are not either ready for or just don't want to pay for. And so yeah. just because you say, Hey, I have a great idea. Doesn't mean you should build a business around it, but rather make sure people are willing to pay for that. And then you can say, I've got a good idea that people are willing to pay for, and then you have a good product or a good business. So, yeah. Well, I've, t- I've had a ton of failures like that where I built it and nobody came. <laughs> so I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I completely agree. And that's, I think that's a lesson. It's a good lesson to learn is a lot of times, see if people pay for it, build that pipeline of people that are wanting it and then develop the product and, and get that feedback as you go along. So Yeah. Actually, Devin, I have one more story. This is actually right. something you might appreciate. So uh, early on with Curlyf, as some of the experiments, I, I actually did get a, a, a trademark on a, a, a version of the tool called Apply Better. And, you know, trademarked it. And I was just so excited because there was this tool that I only, I guess, we were all so excited. It was called Tracklet. And what it would do is it would go follow your, you around and fill applications for job, job applications for you. But mm-hmm. the trick was you had to have your profile set up first in order for this Tracklet to, to follow you around on the web. And so, you know, that apply better with the Tracklet. I thought people are going to love this. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's been a year building the thing. Anyways. That is funny. And it's, it's, it's lessons I think everybody learns in some, some form or fashion is just because yeah. you build it doesn't mean everybody yeah. will come. Sometimes well, I just, come, yeah, I just remembered because I got this notice in the mail. Hey, do you want to keep this? <laughs> this no, I don't use it. It was a bad idea. I'd rather not remember it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, as people, as we wrap up, people want to use your service. They want to find out more about it. They want to reach out to you. They want a job. They want to invest. They want to do any or all of the above. What is the best way to connect up with you? You know, the best way is to contact me on LinkedIn. And uh, I do accept the majority. Uh, I will sometimes look people up, but I do accept the majority of of, uh, connections. And, uh, you know, one thing we always do, and I say this to everybody who's ever worked with us, you always have time to have a 10, 15 minute chat. Mm. Because if there's something that you can give back, you should. No, I, I think that's great advice. And Appreciate that, and I'd certainly encourage people if they're wanting to find out more or connect up with you to reach out to you on LinkedIn. Absolutely, well, thank you. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. And for now, for those of you that are listeners that have your own journey to tell and you'd like to apply to be on the podcast, feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com and apply to be on the show and love to hear your journey. Um, if you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you can get a notification of this and all the other new episodes coming out. And uh, lastly, if you ever need any help with patents or trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at uh, Miller IP Law, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, fun to hear your journey, and wish your next leg of the journey even better than the last. Thank you, and good luck to you too. Thank you.